Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The Biden administration sending more than a thousand active duty troops to the southern border. House Republicans, meanwhile, introduced their own plan on how to secure the surge of illegal immigration. Nearly 300 suspects are arrested for illegal drug trafficking. Find out more about the international bust of a major dark web opioid marketplace. Is it necessary for Congress to prescribe a code of ethics for Supreme Court justices? Or would that be an erosion of separation of powers? Those questions at the heart of a heated Senate hearing. Senator Joe Manchin introduces a new bill to speed up permitting of both fossil fuel and renewable energy projects. We speak with an energy expert and former legislator for his analysis. And Hollywood writers are on strike. Find out which of your favorite shows will be affected. NTD's Arlene Richards talks to a producer. A major dark web drug marketplace is now busted as a result of international efforts. Today, the Justice Department announced the arrest of nearly 300 suspects involved in the illicit trafficking of dangerous opioids on the dark web. And among the suspects, 153 were arrested on U.S. soil. We will not let the shadows of the dark net dim our vision of a safer, more just and brighter future for our communities. According to Attorney General Merrick Garland, the sweep led to the seizure of 117 firearms, 1,900 pounds of narcotics, and over $53 million in cash and cryptocurrency. In late 2021, German authorities seized the illegal dark web marketplace monopoly market. They also provided evidence to Europol, which laid the foundation for the latest takedown. This unprecedented operation, codenamed Spectre, involved multiple international law enforcement agencies and was conducted across the U.S., Europe and South America. Its goal was to go after vendors and buyers on dark web marketplaces who trade drugs and weaponry in exchange for cryptocurrency. Prior to the takedown, the U.S. and Germany had shut down another illicit platform named Hydra, the highest grossing dark web market. But Operation Spectre was even more successful in terms of arrests. And looking to the southern border, the Biden administration is sending 1,500 active duty troops there after it proposed opening migration processing centers in foreign countries. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the latest on that from Latin America. Processing centers for migrants across the Western Hemisphere. That's what the Biden administration is proposing. Right now, people can only seek asylum once they've reached the United States. The administration says this would change through these centers and people could seek refuge without leaving their home countries. That's just not the way it works. This is a policy that this Biden administration has just basically invented. Victor Avila is a former supervisory special agent for ICE and Homeland Security. He says due to current immigration law, asylum seekers aren't actually allowed to seek refuge outside of the U.S. Avila tells me it's possible that gangs and cartels could take over or influence these centers and use them for their own benefit. The bad guys, the bad actors are going to want to gain access and take advantage of these situations. And then before you know it, they're in your community in the United States as your neighbor and you ha we have to deal with those consequences. 
However, when introducing the plan last week, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken explained that the idea can help guarantee migrant safety. These centers will take a usually important step to prevent people from making the dangerous journey to the border by providing a much safer legal option to migrate that they can pursue in and from their own countries. NTD's Melina Weiskop on Tuesday asked Texas Senator John Cornyn about the centers. I think they have no idea what to do, um, and I have zero confidence that they're willing to deal with the problem. Also on Tuesday, a reporter asked the White House why the Biden administration is sending 1,500 active duty troops to the southern border. The administration previously said the border is secure, but added today that more work needs to be done. We put forth a, a comprehensive immigration uh, uh, legislation, and Congress, uh, Republicans in Congress, can refuse to act. House Republicans on Tuesday introduced the Secure the Border Act of 2023. It would restart construction of the border wall, deploy technology, increase the number of border patrol agents and more. The House is expected to vote on the bill next week. Arian Pastar, NTD News. The president of Mexico commented on the troops being deployed to the border. He says the U.S. is a sovereign country and can make its own decisions. And he said Mexico respects the decisions made by the U.S. And staying on immigration, two so-called sanctuary cities are calling on Texas to stop busing them illegal immigrants. But Texas Governor Greg Abbott says he's not the one to blame for the humanitarian crisis. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. I'm here in New York City, right outside of the Port Authority bus terminal. And this spot over here is a final stop for thousands of illegal immigrants bused here from Texas. So I talked to some people in the area to see how they feel about Texas busing illegal immigrants to New York City. I think they need to help them. We're a free country, but do it the right way. If you don't want to do it the right way, you need to wait in line and go somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? Help me. Help us out here in New York. Doesn't bother me. They probably want to get a job, you know? Meanwhile, on Tuesday, New York City Mayor Eric Adams said this about the situation. It is the irresponsibility of the Republican Party in Washington for refusing to do real immigration reform. And it's the irresponsibility of the White House for not uh, addressing this problem. Brownsville, Texas, El Paso, Denver, Los Angeles, uh, New York, Chicago, we should not be burdening the weight of this problem. And Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot recently asked Texas Governor Greg Abbott to stop sending buses of illegal immigrants to Chicago, saying, We simply have no more shelters, spaces, or resources to accommodate an increase of individuals at this level. I know by your actions that you either do not see or do not care about the trauma these migrants have already faced and continue to suffer under the humanitarian crisis you have created. Abbott responded by saying this in a statement on Monday. With Title 42 expulsion set to end next week, the federal government has estimated that we could have up to 13,000 illegal immigrants cross the U.S.-Mexico border every single day. If Chicago can't deal with 8,000 in less than a year, how are small Texas border communities supposed to manage 13,000 in just one day? The Texas governor also added that if Lightfoot wants to find a real solution, she should call on the Biden administration to help secure the border. Abbott says busing illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities gives Texas overrun border communities much needed relief. 
Jason Perry, NCD News, New York. And on Capitol Hill, we're looking at whether Congress could force Supreme Court justices to comply with the Code of Ethics. That's what some senators are pushing for as the Judiciary Committee probes the High Court today. NTD's Melina Weiskopf has more details. A group of senators, mainly Democrats, although there was Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski and Independent Senator Angus King in support of this, they're pushing to impose a code of ethics for Supreme Court justices. This is in the wake of reports of Justice Clarence Thomas participating in luxury vacations and uh, engaging in a real estate deal with a top GOP donor. To that point, Senator Ted Cruz tells me he feels this is a personal attack on conservative Justice Thomas rather than a genuine effort to ensure ethics. Watch. Are not examining the conduct of any of the Democrat justices. By any measure, Stephen Pryor took more than twice as many trips as Clarence Thomas paid for by someone else's dime. This is a political descent into the gutter. And while some say taking this action is a violation of the separation of powers, Democrats argue that the Supreme Court has proven time and time again that it cannot adequately govern itself, thus forced action by Congress is needed. But there is no room to debate that the Supreme Court has the weakest federal uh, the weakest ethics rules in federal government. Until there is an honest ethics process at the Supreme Court, these messes will continue. The court has conclusively proven that it cannot police itself. The issue remains, shouldn't the Supreme Court have a code of ethics? That's it. That's the issue. And the two senators we just heard from, both Democrats, wrote a letter to the Appropriations Committee, that is the committee that writes up funding bills, urging them to include language in this year's funding bill that would force the Supreme Court to adopt a code of ethics, otherwise to lose $10 million in funding. Senator Josh Hawley tells me why he feels uncomfortable with this idea, saying that lawmakers should look at themselves. So what are they going to do? We're going to, we're going to get rid of this judicial recalcitrance by denying them security. If that isn't an assault on the independence of the judiciary, I don't know what it is. But if you want a perfect example of this sort of insider dealing, where members of Congress get briefings nobody else gets, you know, they're privy, that information gets summarized to them in a way it doesn't for any other American, and then they can buy and sell stocks on the basis of that? No way. No way. We ought to ban that. But pushing a bill like this right now would be difficult to get through the slimly divided Congress. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. And staying in Congress, where Democrats and Republicans are finding common ground when it comes to legislators trading stocks. Four lawmakers on opposite ends of the political spectrum have introduced a bill on stock trading. Democratic House members Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Raja Krishnamurthy, plus Republican House members Brian Fitzpatrick and Matt Gates, introduced the new bill. It would restrict members of Congress, as well as their spouses and dependents, from owning and trading stocks. Fitzpatrick said in a statement, the fact that members of the Progressive Caucus, Freedom Caucus, and the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus, reflecting the entirety of the political spectrum, can find common ground on key issues like this, should send a powerful message to America. Ocasio-Cortez said, when members have access to classified information, we should not be trading in the stock market on it. 
This appears to be the toughest restriction on stock trading by members of Congress so far. And taking a step back now to look at the nation's debt, President Biden will soon meet with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to discuss the U.S.'s borrowing capacity. But even as a deadline looms, the White House is showing little desire to agree to Republicans' demand for spending cuts. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. After months of standoff, President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will finally come together in person to talk about the debt ceiling. The meeting, which is scheduled for Tuesday, May 9th, comes after Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned on Monday that a default could come as early as June if no action is taken. But the White House on Tuesday insisted that Biden would not negotiate with Republicans over their demand to cut spending in exchange for raising the nation's borrowing authority. Watch. He is not going to negotiate on the debt ceiling. Been very clear. That is not going to change. The only practical path to avoid default is for Congress to suspend the debt limit without conditions. The White House says Biden invited to the meeting the big four congressional leaders, which are Speaker McCarthy, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, as well as Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. All four have now accepted the invitation, but McConnell says there's no solution in the Senate, adding that Biden will have to either find a deal with McCarthy or accept the spending cuts put forward by House Republicans. But the Senate Majority Leader says... This is a hard right-wing wish list that everyone knows has no chance of passing. Meanwhile, Republicans say Biden's offer to meet is long overdue. This is long overdue. There's been a, a stonewalling on the part of the White House saying we're just not going to talk about this. And guys, you have to talk about this. So much depends on getting a deal done. And on the possibility of a short-term debt ceiling extension, Democrats say they don't want that. And the White House declines to comment, saying it does not want to negotiate in public. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, WNTD News. And as we wait to see how debt ceiling negotiations develop, Senator Joe Manchin today introduced a new bill to speed up the permit process for energy projects after similar bills failed several times last year. Earlier today, I spoke with former Texas State Representative Jason Isaac, who served on the Energy Resources and Environmental Regulation Committees and is now the director of Texas Public Policy Foundation's Life Powered Project. Jason Isaac, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on. Now, Senator Manchin's bill aims to speed up permitting of fossil fuel projects and renewable energy projects at a time when energy security is sorely needed in the U.S. What's your take on his approach? Well, it's interesting. Senator Manchin had the all the leverage he needed last year before the Inflation Reduction Act was passed. Uh, and you know, what turned from Build Back Better to become the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, the pen was in his hand, and he essentially gave up leverage. Uh, here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, the Life Powered Project, we like to do a lot of research, but one is it's clearly evident here that this is a re-election effort where he's pushing this permitting reform that he could have done a year ago, like written the bill himself, but he passed on uh, and America is now suffering. Uh, hopefully with the debt spending limit, we'll be able to pull back some of this spending for electricity. Uh, that Manchin's now proposing that we permit more unreliable electric generation without any reliability standards. And that hurts the ratepayers the most. I don't think the, that the House is going to do anything to pass this bill. 
yes, the permitting reform for the natural gas pipelines that he has is good, but for the, the wind easements and allowing more transmission that's so heavily subsidized already, uh, that's really unfortunate that he's doing that, again, without any kind of reliability standard for electric generation. So given this double-edged nature of this bill, as you've uh, framed it, how do you think that will affect consumers if it did go through? Well, if you produce more energy in this country where we do it more responsibly than anywhere else in the face of the earth, we'd actually see lower prices. The current inflation that we're living through right now is energy-driven inflation. Uh, and it's because you've got a federal government that's using a whole-of-government approach. They're partnering with financial, global financial institutions to deny access to capital and insurance products to American energy producers. And that's just increasing the cost of everything that we use and consume on a daily basis. So if we do produce more energy, here in this country, not only will we be helping Americans, but we'll actually be helping our allies around the world. Are you aware of any other efforts being proposed at, to secure energy? Uh, I think the, the debt re uh, extension bill, the spending uh, bill that the Congress is debating now currently, has some clawbacks of the Inflation Reduction Act which will help. We've seen that number. It was originally a $400 billion number. I think other financial institutions have said that that's not entirely accurate. It's going to be over a trillion dollars of new spending. The the, the effort to ex extend the spending limit uh, scales some of that spending back. And that will be beneficial to Americans because just printing more money uh, is crushing us. What more do you think needs to be done to ensure energy security in the U.S.? There's a couple of things that need to be done. We need to get government out of the way and stop their attack on American-produced hydrocarbons, fossil fuels, and nuclear energy. We need to speed up the permitting process to building new pipelines, to be able to transport this produced fuel to the refineries and to places around the world. And that will have this incredible economic impact that will lift the, the, the hundreds of thousands of people that are in this country that are suffering from energy poverty which is billions around the world. And if we could get the whole of government approach to pull back its reins against American energy producers, that would be fantastic. And then we need the financial institutions, these globalist financial institutions, we need them to pull back their attack on American produced energy. All right, thank you so much. Jason Isaac, Director of Life Powered and former Texas State Representative, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Stephanie. Over in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis has signed a sweeping bill pushing back against the Environmental, Social and Corporate Governance Movement, or ESG. We want to have an economy that's based on value, that's based on the best interests of beneficiaries, if you're talking about a, a pension fund, uh, and we don't want to have an economy in which these businesses uh, are taking all these positions on political issues, or using shareholder assets to advance uh, an ideological agenda. The bill bars Florida state and local officials from considering ESG factors when issuing bonds, making contracts, or investing public money. It also prohibits financial institutions from discriminating against customers for their religious, political, or social beliefs. The bill is one of the farthest reaching efforts pushing back against the ESG movement so far. The governor called the movement an attempt by elites to impose ideology through business institutions. He said this latest bill protects Floridians' financial and economic liberty. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, Hollywood writers go on strike. 
What are they demanding and how could popular shows be affected? We talked to an insider to find out. And an unusual way to jumpstart a week. An elementary school principal ran into a bear right outside his school. We'll take a look at his and the bear's reaction. Police in Memphis, Tennessee are investigating after a man fired a shot into the local Fox 13 station. Police say the suspect is in custody and that no one was injured at the station. The shooting was first reported this morning around 11.30 a.m. According to the station, the case from the bullet that was fired fell outside the front door of the lobby. The suspect then barricaded himself in a nearby restaurant and started to live stream himself on Facebook. The Memphis police officers then took the suspect into custody two hours later. Workers at Fox 13 evacuated the building for about 30 minutes while police closed off the street for their investigation. Fox 13 said the parents of the suspect called the station, telling them that their son has been dealing with mental issues. And over in Manhattan this afternoon, picketing began in the first screenwriter walkout in 15 years. What's at stake, and how will it impact your favorite shows? NTD's Arlene Richards has more. I stream, you stream for a fair contract. Spread the wealth. Those are just some of the signs being held by screenwriters who took to the streets in Manhattan on Tuesday. Yeah, I got no show without my writers. After months of negotiations, the Writers Guild of America unanimously voted early Tuesday to call for a strike after new contract talks broke down. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers and the Guild had been negotiating for a new contract to replace a three-year deal that expired on Monday. Some say streaming and its ripple effects are at the center of the dispute. The Guild argues that writers aren't getting their share of the money even though series budgets have increased. Better pay, better residuals, uh, larger writers' rooms, uh, better contracts, longer contracts, uh, all kinds of things. And the streaming service's use of smaller staff has cut into the length of time writers are needed, affecting long-term financial stability. Picketers took to social media. Javier Grillo Marchat wrote, the corporations claim that they can't possibly part with less than 3% of their profits to properly pay the writers who create the work from which they profit. But a veteran television producer said executives holding on to their pay is not the main issue. The executive salaries make almost no difference in the overall elements of the financials of any of these big companies. It's not enough. He said the writers don't have to bear the risk that executives do. You're dealing with an industry where you might make 50 different shows and have none of them be hits or have one of them be hit. So you're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars looking for that lottery ticket to hit. But he said the big divisive issue is how the writers get paid. If you are a studio, you want to be able to pay writers in a piecemeal type fashion. And effectively on the writer's side, they're like, hey, you hire us. We want some guaranteed time whether you use us or not. He said the strike could last anywhere from 30 to 90 days. 
what happens to your favorite shows. We have some time before the strike really affects entertainment. I would say the late night shows are probably the ones that are going to get hurt, hurt the most because it's easy to go find alternative entertainment than them. Movies, TV series, we've got some time because a lot of them have already been in production and already done. The Guild has scheduled picketing at locations throughout New York and California. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And for those following the Bud Light controversy, sales have fallen 21% for the brand compared to the same period last year. That's according to analysis of Nielsen data by Bump Williams Consulting. Meanwhile, sales of rival brands Coors Light and Miller Light combined grew 21%. The drop in sales comes after a controversial marketing campaign featuring transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney. It prompted calls for a boycott of the brand, though Bud Light is still the best-selling beer in the U.S. Sales last year topped $4.8 billion, according to Bump Williams Consulting. And lastly, if you think you have a lot to bear this week, then check out this clip. School principal James Marsh got off to an unexpected start to his week. When the West Virginia principal unlocked a dumpster right outside his school, a black bear took a peek at him and jumped right out. The principal then started running for his life, and thankfully, so did the bear. Marsh later said that both he and the bear were equally surprised by each other. The security cam footage quickly went viral among students and staff members, and it also caught the attention of the authorities. After the jump scare, the West Virginia Department of Natural Resources sent out staff members to change the locks, making sure that the bear won't make it back in. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.